a great thing to have. He's an A8 Audi. Tua is a Maserati. Tua, when you just barely touch on the gas, you get jolted. There's that torque that those engines have. He's got such immediate power. He doesn't have to gather into his power. There's no lag. He can tap into it. Whether it's his feet or his arm, immediately, I think he is the single best prospect I have ever seen. Wow. wow. Strong words out of Trent Dilfer. Nick, you've been on this corner all along, this is exactly where you are telling people they should have gone Tua over Joe Burrow. Do you think the Bengals will ultimately regret taking Burrow over Tua? Oh, I, I think they will. But first of all, let me say this. Thank you, Trent Dilfer. I, I feel like I've been a man on an island for the last few months, not anti-Burrow because I'm not anti-Burrow, but just so pro-Tua that I think he's the pick at one. And hearing Trent Dilfer say he's the best prospect he's ever seen is somewhat validating for me. But the fact of the matter is Cincinnati is going to take Joe Burrow. We know that. But if we are to take Trent Dilfer's analogy to its furthest logical conclusion, Cincinnati is not going to be the team that makes the biggest mistake here. Yes, they'd be passing on a Maserati, but at least they still have an Audi A8. It's Washington who would be passing on a Maserati because they've got oh. a used Corolla that they don't want to get rid of, right? Like, we look at this only through the lens of Cincinnati. But if you're, if, if Trent Dilfer's right, then what, why would Washington not take Tua Tonga Bailoa at two? If, if, think about the options here. If they take him at two and let him sit a year, as some of the medical experts think he should or would be best for him, you have Dwayne Haskins there. Dwayne Haskins is either good or he's bad. If Haskins is good, then you will be able to trade him for exactly what you used to draft him, a mid-first-round pick. If he's bad, well, then, yeah, you wasted that first-round pick, and you're not going to be able to trade him for anything or much of anything. But then you are thrilled you have Tua Tungabailoa. Either way, it's the right move. And we do this thing, Wilds. It reminds me of the 05 draft. 05, San Francisco takes Alex Smith, passes on Aaron Rodgers. And they're the team that we always say they screwed up. But what about all the teams after San Francisco that also passed on Aaron Rodgers because they thought they had their quarterback? What about the Browns, who had Trent Dilfer, oddly enough, so they took Braylon Edwards? What about my Chiefs that had Trent Green, so they took Derek Johnson? What about the Houston Texans, who had David Carr, so they took Travis Johnson? It if, if Tua is the guy that I think he is, Wilds, and that Dilfer thinks he is, then it's not just Cincinnati that should take him. Washington should be thrilled to take him over Chase Young. Jen, I'm going to do a, a thought experiment with Nick here because um, I'm a guy who loves recommendations. I like book recommendations. I like movie recommendations. I like restaurant recommendations. So, Nick, I'm going to throw it to you. Can you give me your most enthusiastic Rec restaurant recommendation in Kansas City if I go there? Oh, at, no, no, that is the easiest question ever. I know everyone's going to say the barbecue, and the barbecue is amazing, but you can't go wrong with the barbecue. Stroud's Home Pan Fried Chicken. So you go there, there's literally okay. a little small farm with chickens in the back, but chicken's not all you're going to get. With every meal, you get this amazing chicken noodle soup. They have per-piece fried shrimp, the best shrimp I've ever had. And the fried chicken livers and gizzards, 
are basically free with this brown gravy. It might be the best restaurant in America, Shroud's Home Pan Fried Chicken in Kansas City. There's one in Overland Park. That one's good. There's one up north. That one is maybe the best restaurant in the world. I'm glad you asked. <laughs> okay. So here's the, here's the thought experiment. Clearly. You just heard that. Wouldn't it be weird if I was just like, nah, I'm going to go another way. Thanks for that. Best restaurant in, in America. I'm going to go. I, I, I'm going to go a different way. That's what Trent Dilfer is telling us right now. If we could put up the quotes that he is saying about Tua, I don't know how, if you trust Trent Dilfer, and I do, that you can't go wrong on this. Here's quote number one. The single best prospect I've ever studied in my years of doing it. Okay, sounds good. It gets better. Quote number two. Whoever gets him wins the draft because you're getting a Hall of Fame player. All right. Quote number three. He's a one percenter human being. Talent, leader, anything you want to say, he's a one percenter. Jenna, I trust Trent Dilfer. He's a Super Bowl champion and he knows what he's talking about. I think that teams are making a huge mistake if they don't listen to Trent Dilfer and try to get to a coach. One of the things that Trent was talking about was how much two offers, not just on the field, but off the field as well. You've been through this draft process already as a coach. How much weight do you place on the, the intangibles, the, the football knowledge, the leadership, you know, his presence in an interview? How much weight do you place on that? Because that's where, that's where two, at least according to Trent, is really, really shining. Yeah, I, I, I placed a, a ton of weight on that. I just need to respond to it, to, to a couple of things. I, I really like Trent Dilfer, but I, he's not afraid of hyperbole. And if you think that he is the single authority on quarterbacks, then yeah, you should go with, with what he, what, with what he says. When I listen to, to Nick, you're talking about the Kroll in Washington, but last year at this time, you really liked that player. You thought he was more in line with the Audi a8 or the Maserati, and and to get to the Maserati uh, analogy, those those cars are great if you're on the Audubon, and really Alabama is like being on the Audubon, but they're not as good in LA traffic, and and they tend to break down a lot, and and those are chances that you take. So it, it's 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 hard to say definitively one guy is is gonna you know, be a future Hall of Famer, if we could do that, then nobody would miss on, on quarterbacks. Everybody has different things that they like, just like your, your recommendation for a restaurant. If you don't like chicken, you're not going to go to the restaurant that Nick, that Nick offered. And, and that, that, that meal, that, those things have to fit in with what you do. To get to your point about character, he has outstanding character. One of the issues about Alabama players, though, is that they, they're playing as close to a to pro football as you can get. And they're surrounded by a ton of talent. And sometimes their talent can be looked at as being fully developed. So you take a, you take a chance with those guys because you're not sure how much they're going to continue to develop. And when you look at injury history and, and, and things like that, you want to be as clean as possible, especially the higher you draft. You, you want to be able to look at your checklist and not have to take chances on character, on, on, on injury history, if you're in love with the guy and if your doctors feel strongly that the things that have happened have been the normal course of football and it's it's not a pattern, then, yeah, you, you go with it. But you want those players to be as clean as you possibly can be. Nick, I want to just ask you what a little bit more about what you were bringing up earlier. If you're so high on Tua and, it, and you seem to think that teams should be 
Flush that point out a little more. Why do you think Washington, too, isn't even considering taking Tua? Oh, well, I think I'm not certain they're not considering it. We're just not associating them with them. With, but it's probably because Chase Young looks like the safest pick. Chase Young looks like an instantaneous, just like the Bosa brothers were, pass rushing pro bowler out of Ohio State. It's like, okay, we had Joey Bosa, then we had Nikki Bosa, now we have Chase Young, edge rusher out of Ohio State that ultimately that immediately becomes an all-pro talent. But the fact of the matter is, you go back through every draft in recent NFL history or even further than recent NFL history, if you had the benefit of hindsight, you know who would go at the top of every draft where there is a franchise quarterback? The franchise quarterbacks. In 2018, as good as Derwin James, Minka Fitzpatrick, so Christian McCaffrey, or Quentin Nelson, pardon me, Saquon Barkley, were in that draft. You had to do it over again. Lamar goes number one. 2017, even if you love Christian McCaffrey, even if you love Miles Garrett, TJ Watt, Jamal Adams, it goes Mahomes, then Deshaun. And so if there is a franchise quarterback, the only way to get value at two is to take him. And I, I just want to kick it back to Coach because Coach, Coach made a good point. Coach, you're absolutely right. I was very high on Haskins, and I still actually am not selling my Dwayne Haskins stock. So maybe the Corolla analogy was a little <laughs> unfair. But if he is, if Haskins is the player that I thought he was, he still, to me, doesn't have the ceiling that Tua does. But if he is, Coach, then you play him for a year and you get your first-round pick back for him. If he's not, if I were wrong, then aren't they going to be glad they drafted a quarterback number two? Because that means they need a quarterback. Don't I have that right, Coach? Nick, you're absolutely right in the sense that if you believe that the quarterback prospect is is going to be your franchise quarterback and you have uncertainty with the guy that, that you currently have, you have to go get that guy. You have to take the chance on the quarterback because it changes the trajectory of the organization. It changes the trajectory of, of, of the team. And, and it's something you have to do. It You need a conviction. You need to have a conviction and you need those guys to be as clean as you possibly can. And you also need to have a, some sort of conviction on the guy that you have in the building. And I don't know if, if at this point, Washington can say they do either good or bad on Haskins. Nick, Brady's still using the quarterbacks drafted ahead of him as motivation is blank. Jordan-esque, but I don't mean that as a compliment. Oh. It, it, you guys remember nice. Michael Jordan? He famously, as a sophomore, didn't make varsity. A guy, a senior named Leroy Smith, made varsity over him. And Jordan reminded us of that during his Hall of Fame speech when he was announced as the greatest player to ever live, that he had flown Leroy Smith in for the speech to be humiliated. Tom Brady's the greatest quarterback ever. How do you think Gio Carmazzi feels when he's like, Jesus, man, again, again with this? Poor T. Martin, Spurgeon win. The only time we ever hear these guys' names is like, look at these doofuses that were drafted instead of Brady. So it's Jordan-esque because it's unnecessarily petty for these other people who haven't had the glorious life you've had, Tom Brady. That's what I say, Coach, Jordan-esque. No, I think it's I think it's smart. It's one of those things where when you have tremendous amount of, of success and 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 fame and money and all the things that have come to Tom Brady, you need something to remind you of, of where you were and, and, and something to keep you grounded and and motivated as you continue to move on. 
And those, this is one of those things that, that, that is a motivation for them. So to be able to go back to it and remind yourself of where you came from, I think that's a great idea. Nick, I know you talk a lot about take integrity. I too have take integrity. The one thing about the Patriots is we get off scot-free for also not drafting Brady until 199. We drafted six people, so my answer is the Belichick six. Here are the six Patriots that we drafted prior to Tom Brady. I know it seems like Belichick's a genius, but he did wait until 198 other guys were uh, came up until he took Tom Brady. Coach, what do you think about this, uh, this team here, the pre-Brady team? Look, we went five and eleven that year, and and there's that's part of the reason we went five and eleven is is that draft class was <laughs> was rough, and uh, you know Antoine Harris ended up having a really nice career, and there were a lot of good guys there, they just didn't make significant impact, especially early on. I'm going to say to Tom Brady what my six year old would say: Let it go. Uh, on to Houston now. Oh, when they awesome. traded away all pro wideout DeAndre Hopkins, head coach, GM Bill O'Brien took some heat. But O'Brien justified the move by saying it was made in the best interest of the Texans. Nick, Bill O'Brien defending the Hopkins trade is blank. Him defending the trade is indefensible, especially the way he did it. I listened to this Zoom conference call. His argument was, we've got big extensions coming up for Tunsil, for Watson. We didn't have the money to pay DeAndre Hopkins, which is really interesting because you signed Randall Cobb to big money and then you traded for Brandon Cooks. Those two contracts equal more than what Hopkins wanted. This is to continue our theme of the show, car analogies. You've got a gorgeous, perfect, top of the line S550 Benz. It, you leased it for $2,000 a month. Oh, Very nice. expensive, but worth it. You get rid of it so you can lease a Corolla for $700 and a used Infiniti for $1,400 that you're not sure if the transmission works. It's like, wait, now we're spending more on lesser products, but at least we have two of them. It's indefensible, coach. To me, I, I think it's expected. People want to kill trades the second that they happen and, and look at the Cleo Mack trade I think in retrospect a lot of people will give the Raiders credit for, for the decision that they made you have to wait for a little bit of time to see how things unfold how it all plays out and to just kill someone the second it happens that that that's unfair and and in when you look at it the car's got to be right for the guy who's driving it and if, it, if it's not right no then cars. you move on all right Jeff Jenna, I didn't put a car analogy. I didn't know when we were in our meeting, like everything has to be about a car. <laughs> I wrote April 17th, 2023. I need us to put it in the Google Doc for the show because that's when Bill O'Brien wants us to judge this trade. So maybe here was his quote. Let the whole thing play out, whether it's that trade or anything else that we've done. I'd say let's review it a year from now, two years from now, three years from now. It's like, all right, three years. We're going to come back and I promise you we're going to do this quote and be like, hey, Nick. What do you think about that DeAndre Hopkins trade? And maybe he's right. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. And Bill O'Brien is going to be on the show I analyzing it. He'll, he'll be one of our analysts because he won't be the coach of the Texans the anymore right. in, part because, in sure. part because of the trade. That's a good episode. Hey, because of the trade. Your DVRs? I saw how that all played out. On to Cleveland now. Brown's chief strategy officer, Paul DePodesta, said the Odell Beckham trade rumors are completely false. Seems like a good strategy from their chief strategy officer. Nick, 
David Dessa's comments about oh, yeah. Odell Beckham's future in Cleveland are blank. Well, they're accurate, but they're irrelevant because facts don't always matter when it comes to talking about Odell Beckham. This now goes on the ledger of alleged acts by Beckham that I guarantee will be thrown at him in the future. It'll be, it'll just, it'll always be kind of hazy. Like, you know, there were rumblings Cleveland wanted to trade him. And that'll just be, again, in the ongoing smear campaign of Odell, something that's you. So I believe Paul D. Podesta, I, I, with respect, I don't know why a, a, a radio guy in New York was going to have the skinny on a Browns-Vikings trade. But it, so I believe that there was nothing to this. And I also believe it'll be used against Beckham anyway, Coach. Yeah, to me, this is understandable. There's, there's no other answer that, that you can give at this point other than what De Podesta said. And and look, he, he wants to focus on the draft and whether they're talking about trades or not talking about trades, you, you can only really make those comments if you have something going and, and you know it's going to go through. Otherwise, if the player thinks you tried to trade him and it doesn't go through, you now have a more dis, a more disgruntled player than they currently have. Uh, well... Coach, I'm in my basement, and uh, I got sheetrock everywhere because we had to pull it down. We had a leak, and we finally found it, and it was the tiniest, tiniest, tiniest leak, and that's what this quote reminded me of. We're excited about what we have a chance to do in the draft. Yep. We have a chance. What does he say? We think we have a chance to be a championship-caliber core. The idea we would take away from that core at this moment, and there's your leak. Like, dude, just say, we're not trading Odell. Never ask me about it again. Anything short of that, we're gonna run with it. I'm sorry, that's just who we are. We gotta fill an hour. Come on, buddy. Just say we're not trading him. We'll never might, talk about might it Might I remind you guys what, can I remind you guys what Dave Gettleman said right before trading Odell Beckham? We did not sign him well, that's to the other trade thing. him. So Nick, you said it. You, you can't really buy what anyone's saying until we see how everything plays out. All right, let's move on to Nick's favorite tight end of all time, and that would be, yep, Jason Witten. Raiders GM Mike Mayock explained why the team went out and got the 37-year-old, saying if there is a Mount Rushmore of NFL tight ends, he's on it. Nick, Witten being on the Mount Rushmore of tight ends is blank. Oh, come on, Nick. <laughs> he's being Listen, nice. No, guys. No, oh, okay. Listen, I don't even need to go to Shannon Sharp or Mike Ditka or Jackie Smith, or Kellen Winslow. I, I don't need to do that. How about this? What if we were to just create a list of the best tight ends of Jason Witten's era? I can come up with four whose last name starts with G who are better than him. Gates, Gonzalez, Gronk, and how about Jimmy Graham? I mean, there's, what the, is, is Mount Rushmore, the, 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 the damn Appalachians, there's 78 peaks? If there is, then sure, put him on it. But this is lunacy. It's total lunacy. And Mayock, I've always liked, liked you, but this is take integrity out the window, list integrity out the window, ranking integrity out the list window. Coach, it's an abomination. <laughs> list integrity. Yeah. Nick, you're wrong. Um, you're, you're absolutely wrong on this. Look, it, when you look when you look at tight ends, you can't just look at at receptions. And, and it's so it's so in vogue now to look at receiving tight ends and saying that's the complete tight end. But that position has to be able to not only catch the ball, but they also have to be able to block. They need to be able to run block. 
They need to be able to pass block. If you want a complete tight end, if you want a wide receiver that plays tight end, you, you can go and get that. If you want a guy that's more of a dump truck and just blocks, you can go and get that. But what you got with Jason Witten is you have a guy that was able to do all of those things, as well as like we talked about off the top of the show, Jenna, had incredible character, had incredible value to the organization, was a force multiplier in the locker room. And and that's how you have to evaluate so any position forever. That's what, what you have to do. What you have to do is evaluate the position in its entirety, not just in terms of one aspect of playing the position. Oh, yes. Jenna, I'm going back to the last block. I said, Tua, I said Tua-esque. I said Tua-esque because uh, oh, Dilfer said one of the things that Tua does is he makes everyone around him feel important. And that was one of his great qualities. That's what I think Mayock is doing. It's just great leadership. There's no, there's no list integrity, Nick. He's not on the show. It's just great leadership. Make Jason Witten feel great. It's great. Uh, List integrity. All right. Le- on a fake le- football Mount Rushmore. Let's take like, a, sl- a tight end Mount Rushmore. Yeah, let's take a Nick slight would be on Mount turn. Uh, <laughs> oh. Nick has been spending all week unveiling LeBron's top 10 playoff performances. If you missed 10 through 7, shame on you. But Nick, bring us up to speed. Who do you have at number six today? All right, number six is maybe the most memorable game of his career. Game 7, 2016 NBA Finals. 27, 11, 11, 2, and 3 to win his first championship in Cleveland, his third championship ever. This game, of course, had the greatest block in NBA history to complete the greatest comeback in NBA history against the greatest team in NBA history. Everyone knows that. What people, I think, forget is this. In the final nine minutes of this basketball game, the only shot made by any Cav, the only point scored by any Cav other than LeBron was Kyrie's three. In the final five and a half minutes of this game, LeBron outscored the Warriors by himself seven to two. In the same time frame, Steph Curry was 0 for five with maybe the worst turnover in the history of the league, the behind the back pass out of bounds. And in a perfect, perfect way to put a bow on his career because this is the moment he became the greatest player ever. The greatest player ever has one flaw, his free throw shooting. So how did he pull off and finish the greatest comeback ever for the greatest achievement in the history of the sport ever? A game-clinching free throw, potentially with a broken wrist. I still don't know what happened in the wrist on that foul on the dunk. Oh, no! In order to I, this ice the so basketball good. game. A 27, 11, 11, 2, and 3. <laughs> Triple double, game seven. He also of the had a headache. And that Wilds. is not even one of his night. five greatest playoff games ever. It's number six on LeBron's 10 greatest playoff games ever. Back here, first things first, now joined by two time Super Bowl champ and 11 year NFL vet, Chris Long. Chris, good morning. Thanks for being with us. We're going to dive right in. How have you been spending the last couple of weeks in quarantine? I'm asking mainly because I'm desperate for ideas at this point. Well, definitely not getting outside, as you can see. I'm looking a little bit, uh, a little bit pale on this, uh, on this Skype call. <laughs> I, I've been churning out the podcast. Um, uh, I've been hanging out with my family. Listen, I, you know, it's it's tough. It's something we have to do. But I'm thinking about all the people on the front lines right now first responders, uh, medical staff, and essential workers. It's crazy that the hardest thing I have to do is sit home. Uh, I'm just fine. My family's healthy. So 
Chris, you obviously were drafted number two overall as a defensive end pass rusher. It would appear the number two overall pick this year is going to be a defensive end pass rusher and Chase Young. If you sat with him, what advice would you give him? And what type of pressure did you feel as a guy who was expected, probably unfairly, come in and be a 12-sack a season guy immediately? Yeah, it's hard. I mean, because so much goes into pass rushing that you have no control over, like leads, uh, how many times the ball is thrown on you, coverage. And those things aren't going to be probably uh, factors that you're excited about when you when you go to a lesser team that picks at the top of the draft. So I would just say stay patient. And pass rushing is one of these things that it's not always a Nick Bosa situation where the first year you're up near double digits. It sometimes takes two, three years. I know for me. Uh, it took, you know, about three years to get to a point where I started a streak of, of, of averaging about double digits for four years. So, you know, my first two years, there were trying times where I, I wondered if, if I was good enough. I know Chase might have mom moments like that, but he's way more talented than I was. And he'll be great, I think. Chris, you had a long NFL career and you very quickly transitioned to having a great NFL focused podcast. It's called The Green Light. Everybody should get it. So now that you're a media member, I want to ask you about a media story. Odell rumors yesterday, they were flaring up, they were false, oh, maybe they've got an inkling in truth. How do you view that story uh, from your player side of your brain, and how do you view it from, like, now that you're a media member? Well, first off, uh, the most interesting part of that story was it had me taking notes for, like, an hour, and then I realized it was a fake story. So uh, anybody can get got. And then um, I would just say... Hypothetically, that would be a good trade for Cleveland. Um, it is a deep wide receiver class. Uh, I, I think in Minnesota, if that trade were hypothetically going to happen, I'm not sure you make it. Um, you know, I would love to see Odell at some point with a quarterback that's long established uh, with one of those. Like, what if you had Odell and A-Rod? If you were ever getting moved, that'd be really interesting to me. You know, a, a real kind of guy who's been there a decade, a Hall of Fame type guy. I think Baker's really good, and I think what they got going in Cleveland, if they can make it work, is great. Uh, two tight ends with Hooper, Joku. They're going to have receivers on the outside, running backs. And, and I think with Baker, um, you know, you, you, with a quarterback, you judge him off of what he's done. In his first year, he showed you that potential. I think they can get back there. I like the Stefanski hire. Uh, I don't know that Odell's going anywhere, but if he was, uh, how about Green Bay? Not bad. All right, Chris, let me ask you this. You, you won two Super Bowls, one with the Eagles, one with the Patriots. We joked earlier before we started the interview, clearly you're in the Eagles room of your house right now. Uh, two two yeah. very different teams, obviously, that went on to win those Super Bowls. Did, did one mean more to you because the personalities of both teams were so vastly different? Well, I think maybe the personalities of the organi organizations were different, but... Uh, one thing those two teams had in common was, was great teammates and a uh, great locker room. So for me, it was just, uh, you know, it, the difference was there was one team that was kind of a championship machine. So I was a, a, a part of that process. Um, you, you, you join an established program and the other was Philly where, you know, you meet, uh, grown men who are 65 years old and they're crying and they say they've been waiting their whole life for a championship. And that's a little bit different. The first time. You get to go down Broad Street uh, for that parade. That's a day I'll never forget. Um, I, I never felt like I was more part of a city in my life. Uh, and, and everybody was kind of kind of rallied together, the under, underdog mentality, uh, the, the journey with which it took to get there. 
um, and the improbability. I mean, even at the, at the beginning of the season, we were picked to be a bottom 10 team. Uh, so to do that uh, with a backup quarterback for a city that's been waiting 50-plus years is pretty remarkable. Chris, to kind of piggyback off that, I want to go to the Patriots Super Bowl that you won. I, I, I was fortunate enough to spend some time with your dad a few months after you won that Super Bowl, and he told me an amazing story that that offseason – you were choosing between Atlanta and New England and that he right. had counseled you that he thought, well, if you're trying to win a Super Bowl, I would go to New England. And he told me at halftime of that game, he felt like a failure. He's like, the one thing I'm supposed to help my kids with is football. And I steered him wrong. While you're in that game, at any moment, were you thinking, geez, like I'm this close, I've waited this long and I could have been playing on the other side? Or is that just something you reflect on afterwards? I think it's something more you reflect on afterwards. It was pretty interesting to me at the at the uh, as as the smoke cleared that game. You know, looking back and saying, "Wow, it did come down to you know meeting uh, in Atlanta with with Dan Quinn and then popping up to New England." Uh, but the good thing is, you know, like like most kids, um, we listen to our parents, but we kind of make decisions on our own. So uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't blame my dad. Uh, I, I, he certainly he certainly said to me. I, because when I when I came from the Rams, we averaged four four wins over a year, um, and for me, I, I I felt like my career was a bit of a waste without winning. Uh, so I was I was ready to shamelessly do whatever it took as far as hopping on a team that had a good shot. You want to call it ring chasing, whatever. Uh, but I feel better because the next year you can't call me a ring chaser. Deciding to go to Philly, Chris Cam Newton still a free agent. Where do you think he ends up? Man, you know, you, you hear Jacksonville, but I'm not sure Jacksonville is serious about winning this year. I hear reports that Cam uh, could wait till August, I think, uh, <clears throat> to sign. And, and I think that's probably the right move. I think he should be patient, wait it out. Um, you know, I thought the Chargers uh, would, would be a good destination, but I don't know what's going to happen in the draft at that spot. I don't know if they're going to get their guy. Um, it's a tough, it's probably the toughest offseason for a quarterback like Cam to enter free agency um, because of the influx of talent from the draft, because of the, the quarterback movement, and mainly because of uh, coronavirus and, and the inability for teams to get quality physicals on guys. So if, I, if I'm a team, I would certainly take a, a shot at Cam uh, and, and see what he's got left in the tank. He is north of 30. Um, he is coming off a couple of injuries, but you, you can't help but remember that 2015 year. And, and everything that came before it uh, and just after it. All right, Chris, we're going to play a little rapid fire. First answer that pops into your head. I'm going to ask you a couple quick questions. Here we go. Number one, best advice Belichick ever gave you? Man. Oh. I, I think I blacked it all out. It was uh -oh. so traumatic. Any advice, Belichick? Belichick. I was, you know what makes Bill great? He could walk around the field and coach every position better than all the position coaches. And I, and I mean that respectfully to the position coaches. Maybe save for Scar, the O-line coach, but he was great at every position. So he even coached me at D-line stuff. I can't remember one, but he was great. All right, here we go. Next one. What former player in the NFL would you least like to be quarantined with? Oh, man, former Mike Bennett. We're like best friends, but we argue like we're married. Um, and, and so I would say Mike Bennett. We would be we would probably be killing each other by day two. OK, uh, better Super Bowl ring, nicer, fancier, whatever you want to call it. Eagles, Patriots. 
Well, the, the, the Patriots 283 diamonds now um, because of the 28 to there 3 thing, um, which was a nice touch. But I would, say, uh, <laughs> I would say the Eagles because my favorite color is green. All right, I got three NFL draft oh, questions have, for you. The underdog mask on the inside. Oh. If you take the ring off, the underdog mask is on the inset of the ring. And I feel pretty good about that because me and Lane Johnson ordered those specifically off Amazon together. Yeah. Uh, Chris, I got three NFL draft questions. First one, biggest sleeper in this draft? Sleeper. Um, let me go. I'm, I'm going to go with a Virginia guy. I want to mention my Virginia guys. I mean, you've got Bryce Perkins, who is the most electric uh, quarterback and player in the ACC, who uh, who could slide a bit. He didn't get invited to the combine. Joe Reed, uh, Bryce Perkins. So, um, you know, th- those type of guys. I mean, Bryce Hall, everybody knows he's good. He's probably a first-round pick, but those two guys maybe are going to be sleepers from Virginia. All right, here's my last one. Biggest chance to be an absolute superstar. Superstar, not just a star, superstar. Oh, man, superstar. You know, I'm going to go with, uh, I'm going to go with Joe Burrow. I I know that's a chalky answer, but if he can put it together on the field, I know it was a bit of a one-year thing, and you wonder how much of that was Joe Brady and all that, but uh, he just has this mentality that I think is rare that, that players can see, hearing him talk, watching him operate. I haven't seen a quarterback like that with that mentality in some time. I think he's got a chance to be a superstar if he can put it together physically. All right, Chris, we'll get you out of here on this one. Tom Brady, the greatest quarterback ever, seems like an amazing dad, a wonderful husband. He's never made any public misstep whatsoever. So to get you out of here on this, what is the worst thing about Tom Brady? The worst thing about Tom Brady? Golly. I don't know. It's it's hard. Woo. Come on. His haircut, his haircuts nothing. back in the early 2000s. He answers nothing. <laughs> his haircuts in the early 2000s. Oh, no, you said his haircut? Oh. In the early 2000s. Oh, no, early 2000s. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, he's, I didn't he's hear that part. Cut that. that part out. Aggregate it. Chris Long rips Tom Brady's hair all over the internet <laughs> later today. Yes, we nailed you. Benjamin, we nailed you, Benjamin Button, we, man. We gotta go, Chris. Back here on First Things First with Patriots Safety and three-time Super Bowl champ, Devin McCourty. Devin, good morning. Thanks so much for being with us. We just had Chris Long on the show in the segment before, and he was telling us that he liked his Eagles Super Bowl ring better than the Patriots Super Bowl ring. Then you come on and you were texting. Were you texting him? Yeah, I texted him. I told him he always picks Philly over everything New England, (laughs) but he can't lie about the ring. I mean, that's 283 diamonds. He knows it's better. (laughs) I love it. Uh, Listen, tell us a little bit about what you've been up to. We've been asking athletes who've been joining us sort of what quarantine looks like for them, what projects, things that they're really sort of diving into now. What what have the last couple of weeks been like for you? Uh, A lot of free time. So uh, one, being a dad. Uh, Two, me and my brother have our podcast, Double Covers with the McCourty Twins. Um, And then we're launching a project uh, in our hometown in Rockland County uh, where we'll be giving Chromebooks to schools in the Nike and East Rampo School District. So that should kick off on Monday. Um, just getting that information out there for other people who want to donate. But uh, we just want to help the kids in our area just advance in school and have them, uh, give them a chance to still do well uh, during these trying times. That's amazing work you and, you and your brother are doing. And the podcast is fantastic as well, by the way. I, you, your guys' defense last year was number one in basically every category. Through eight <laughs> games, it was, according to the advanced metrics, on pace to be the greatest defense ever. 
I'm curious because you're a smart guy. What was your defense quite as good as the numbers suggest, or was there a little competition, young quarterbacks? Like, how good was that defense last year? Oh, no, I think our, I think our defense was awesome last year. Um, was it the greatest defense of all time? I would pump the brakes. I mean, I said that week. I mean, two all the way throughout the season. Um, but yeah, we had some games. I think we played the Jets and uh, we played against a third string quarterback because of injuries. And, you know, Sam Darnold um, had got mono. So there were some games mixed up in there. But overall, um, I think you take our, our season's work. Uh, we had a great defense. We had, you know, games where we shut everything down. We had games that obviously didn't go as well. Um, but it was a great defense to be a part of all year last year. To, to follow up on that, and this is very rare for a New England team, you guys play 17 games. 12 times you hold your opponent to 17 or less, you're 12-0. and 0. The five times you guys allowed your opponent more than 17 points, you lost all five. Was there a feeling on the defensive side of the ball that if we're going to have the type of season we need to have, it's going to be disproportionately on us? Um, I didn't even know that stat, but... But um, I think once the season got rolling, we knew how we needed to play uh, to win games. And um, it was no knock to either side of the ball. I've been here 10 years, and we've had seasons where Tom and the offense scored 35 points, and we gave up 25 points. And um, it was just the way the season went. And I felt last year uh, was a season where defensively, like you just said, when we held teams to a certain amount of points, it just gave us a better chance to win. And we still had games where our offense lit it up, and we won by a lot of points. But um, our better games are when we play well on defense. And always most important thing is points. Devin, uh, on your podcast, you talked about how Jarrett Stidham would play against you guys in practice, and that actually led to better games. How should we be talking about Jarrett Stidham as we try to move forward in the post-Tom Brady era? Um, I think just giving, giving him time. He's a young quarterback. Um, I think everyone knows playing quarterback in this league is hard. Um, but I, I always love when we get quarterbacks in there. A couple years ago it was Jimmy. This year it was Stiddy. Uh, young quarterbacks who come in there and you're competing against a defense really all year. Um, and we know what the offense is coming in. Like We know we're scouting. We're doing all our homework. So some of the things that they have to do in practice is not easy. Um, but I love when they're smiling and competing um, and just enjoying that time to get better. So Stidham took on that challenge, and, you know, I think it was great. He learned a lot from Tom and Hoyer when Hoyer was there. So um, just seeing him develop has been awesome for me as an older guy. Hey, Devin, I know you've probably spoken to a lot of the guys on the team, and I know you do play on defense, but with Tom Brady gone, does it already feel like this season is going to be a little different just just from what you've been hearing and what you guys have been talking about. I mean, you could obviously, you've read everything, you hear what everyone's saying, but does it feel like the season's already off to a bit of a different start, even though it really hasn't started yet? Yeah, I think without a doubt, the season will be different just because you have a guy who's been your guy for the last 20 years, been our starting quarterback, our best player for the last 20 years, and you take him out of the equation, that changes the locker room dynamics, it changes um you know, just a day-to-day of everything you do because a lot of it was, is centered around Tom Brady. Um, but I think overall, we still have a group of guys that love to compete. Um, we have a, a group of guys that have been, you know, playing in New England for 10-plus uh, years um, that know one way, and that's going out there and trying to win football games. So we'll continue to try to do those things, but I'm sure it'll look different this year than it's looked in years past. Devin, one more question for me about Tom. I he went on with Howard Stern and said he knew during the season it was probably going to be his last year in New England. You are one of, if not his, if not the longest tenured teammate of his. I, 
or at least you've been around him for so for the last decade, as you mentioned. I did you have that sense as well? You know what? I think when a guy is entering the last year of free agency, um, I think for every guy, there's a sense of it could be your last year. You know, wherever you're at. Um, as far as him being ready for the season, focus and drive, you couldn't tell uh, that he was thinking about that or anything. He was always locked in, ready to go. You know, I've learned so much from him just Friday captains meetings um, of sitting there and, and listening to what he thinks, you know, are keys to winning, not just from an offensive standpoint, but just overall. So he was locked in that way all year. And, um, you know, I couldn't tell from, you know, the season that there was a chance he would leave. Devin, is there a Bill Belichick type of player We've seen a lot of free agents are out, so a lot of like the rumors about Cam. People say like, oh, Cam will work with Belichick. He likes to win. Win. No, it wouldn't work with Belichick. To me, it feels like Gronkowski and Teddy Bruschi carry themselves very differently, but they were very successful in New England. So I guess in that locker room, is there a common thread or are there certain guys like, oh, that won't work on the Patriots? I'm always interested when people say that. I think a lot of that is from the outside looking in. Um, you know, we get guys in there all the time. I remember when uh, Keith Tlaib came to our team and people were like, oh, he was bad in Tampa, his attitude. And I mean, he was one of the best teammates I've ever played with. And I mean, actually, when he came to New England, he was like, man, I don't get why people complain about this. Like, I love this. So you never know. I think guys come in there and sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. But to just predict um, guys' personalities won't work in New England or this is not a build type of guy. Um, I think, you know, I don't think that's true. Um, you have to see how things work out if a guy comes to our team. But, um, you know, I think Cam Newton's a great player. He's a proven winner. So to just say he wouldn't work in New England, um, I don't think that's correct. So, Devin, give us the biggest misconception about Bill Belichick. We hear so many stories. Some guys say he's the greatest coach that's ever coached him. Some guys say he was impossible. It was just so hard to, 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 to play for. Biggest misconception about Bill Belichick. Um, I would say is that we we live in a world of everything being militant and that you can't be yourself. Um, I think that is just the biggest misconception now. In New England, are there ways to do things? And is Bill going to be consistent? He's going to be on guys about doing the right things, about guys being able to perform. Um, but within, you know, like Chris Long was on just saying before, we have a great group of guys in that locker room, guys that like to have fun. We do things um, our way. And I think every team has that about them you know they do things a certain way um but i think in new england because we've won a lot of football games and you know bill is probably one of the worst guys when it comes to interviews and media stuff people just think everything is just so somber and down in new england but it's not he has fun guys are laughing and stuff all the time so um i think guys that have come and enjoyed it will tell you that right away Devin, we got to be quick here we got about 60 seconds left i i gotta ask this because you have an identical twin I've heard these amazing stories. My identical twin was in another country, and he got he got hit, and I felt it. Do you have any, like, surreal, identical twin stories with your brother quickly before we go? Uh, I do not feel his pain. He does not feel my pain. Um, but I will say he, he's, uh, he's gotten over. He's got to enjoy a lot of my winning success over the years. So I was happy the last two years he's got to win his own games. <laughs> That's perfect. He's going to kill me for that. Uh, thank you, Devin, man. Devin, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, all the best to you and your brother on the podcast. Continued success and good luck this season. 
We got to go. That's it for us today. We are back here tomorrow morning. Much more First Things First. Stay safe. Stay healthy. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. Appreciate it, everybody. Monday. We'll be here Monday. Jill will be here tomorrow. I'm going to take the weekend off.